This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello out there, it is I, Chris Bolton, and you are listening to the Creative Agency Podcast. You know, the show where I interview agency owners and industry experts so we can all run happier and more profitable agencies. Today, I'm interviewing Isaac Arthur of Kodo. That's kododesign.com, C-O-D-O design. I found out about Kodo because I discovered this amazing branding guide for craft breweries online. It's a super in-depth guide and it's beautifully designed. And it's also a genius marketing piece because who better to brand your brewery than a company that wrote the book on it? Anyway, I think you'll really like this interview. It really shows how much content marketing can benefit your agency. But before we get started, I would like to quickly tell you about an online conference that I'm speaking at. It's virtual, so you don't even have to get up from your desk to attend, and it's free, so you don't have to pay anything for it. Um, It's happening April 3rd through 7th. That's coming right up in just a couple of weeks. Uh, The conference is all about growing your agency. And it also features Carl Sakis, who recently appeared on our show. It's called the Digital Agency Summit, and you can go to creativeagencypodcast.com to find the link and register. Uh, My session is called Don't Specialize, Evolve, and it's all about the complexities of specialization and how agencies end up specializing. So don't miss it. As always, please leave me a glowing review on iTunes, follow me on Twitter at creative, A-G-N-C-Y, or drop me a line at chris at creativeagencypodcast.com. Now let's hop to it. I'm here with Isaac Arthur of Kodo, an agency. Where are you guys based? We're based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Excellent. And uh, how many employees do you have? We are five, including myself. What's your um, your personal background? Um, how did you, you get into uh, running an agency? Well, uh, my personal background, grew up, uh, born and raised here in Indianapolis or on the west side of Indy. Uh, really spread my wings after high school and then uh, drove 20 minutes downtown for college and then stayed right there uh, to open a, a firm right after graduating college. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if you went the whole spiel, um, I went to Heron School of Art and Design, which is a, a great design school down in uh, the heart of Indianapolis. I met uh, Cody Fagg there, who became my business partner, but he and I graduated um, back in May 2009, and we founded Kodo the following Monday based on the belief that we can create better work by directly including our clients in the creative process. So do you, do you want the entire spiel, or do you want uh, – because <laughs> I, I, I can go all day. Uh, you so know, you're, you're a designer? Your background is design? Yes, sir. We'll probably get into this a little later. Uh, when we were at school, we – our, our program was more centered around design thinking at the time than just kind of graphic design, which gave us actually kind of an interesting perspective. And in a lot of ways, some of the tool sets and skill sets that we needed to, to at least, I won't say run a business, but run an agency. Um, and that's become more apparent as we've, we've grown the company, but, but yeah, traditionally I am a designer. Yeah. And, and your, your partner, Cody, was he a designer as well? Yeah, he was. He, uh, he went to Heron to be an illustrator and then found out that they don't have an illustration program. So he had a fallback, uh, which was designed, which kind of worked out well for him and for myself and for a lot of our clients as well. So. Nice. How was that sort of starting out right out of college? Like, did you guys have trouble finding clients? Uh, 
You know, we really, we had one or two people. Heron was great because we worked with, they paired us with nonprofit partners. So we got to do like real projects. I think that's something you're seeing a lot of colleges around the country do now, but we got to do real work. So we had a couple little projects, really small projects. Um, But otherwise, it's not as romantic a startup story as, you know, I say the following Monday because it sounds cool, but it isn't really that romantic. Like we lived with our parents for another year after graduating. We, um, we met with someone to discuss a potential project, ended up finding out that they had a small 10 by 10 foot room in the back of their building that was for rent. We ended up renting that. We're still in that building. We're going to move here in a, a couple months. But so we've been in that building for, um, you know, going on eight years now. But uh, so so we were very lean starting out. We used our uh, school laptops or the laptops rather that we bought in school. We, we were drumming up clients, but we didn't have any overhead. So it was just us reaching out to people that we thought were doing cool work in town, sharing our portfolio, which at the time was all school work, and then uh, just kind of getting work and using that work to go to the next thing and the next thing. Yeah, I, you know, the the beginnings of uh, our agency, Murmur Creative, is a very similar story. It's, and it, I mean, at the same time that it's it's hard work and you're not making any money, it's kind of inspiring because you do you don't need anything besides a laptop to really start out. And, you know, it, it actually, it kind of instilled fantastic business practices because we were so conservative. Like we, we still to this day, I mean, we probably shouldn't be doing this, but you know, we were completely run on cash. Like we've never had credit and we have five employees now. Um, and that's just because coming out of school, we, we didn't know any better. Like we didn't have a cool office and we didn't have, you know, I think we were two or three years in before we replaced our, uh, our, laptops and we gave them Viking funerals and brought in these big, beautiful iMacs. You know, it's just, we, we very much grow slowly. And, um, I think that that's something that's very, very important to us being around today and being where we are and where we're headed. hopefully we could all mess this up, I guess, but, uh, yeah. Right. Right. You know, at Murmur Creative, we have a credit line, but the, the idea is that we don't use it. It's, you know, it's scary. You know, when your main expense is employees, um, you know, something happens, the economy goes down or, you know, you don't get to work for a couple of months, then you're like, the first thing you have to look at is, is, uh, your payroll. So it's a little bit scary. You want to be conservative. <laughs> yeah. And you guys are a pretty big team, right? You're 14 or 15, something like that. Uh, at 13 right now. 13. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. That's way scarier even. I mean, I'm scared at five. Like that's, that's what keeps me up at <laughs> night. Like it was way easier when it was just Cody and I in a 10 by 10 foot room. And now we have, you know, like, Back in the day, if we run out of money, which happened like one time because we just didn't know anything what we were doing, we just stopped paying ourselves. You know, it's easy. But now we have five people. We have full health coverage. Like it's we can't really stop payments. So, yeah, much scarier. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So what what does the name Kodo mean? How did that come about? (laughs) Well, uh, I mentioned Heron and I I think I mentioned design thinking. Uh, So. At the time, the program focused entirely on design thinking uh, as opposed to like traditional graphic design. So our heads were filled with theory. Um, and I, I think the quote was from Chris Bangle, who I later found out is actually kind of a famous industrial designer, automobile, automobile designer, car, I don't know why I said automobile, but uh, I, think his, uh, I think his quote was, think flexible, be flexible, context over dogma. And so Kodo actually is context over dogma, CO slash DO. Um, oh, cool. The, yeah, I mean, it, it is cool. But the problem we found is being 22 and like meeting with uh, older people that have been in business for a while and throwing around terms like dogma and dogmatic business practices uh, didn't really move people to hire us. So 
we pretty quickly shed that and it just became kind of this short likable name yeah, that makes sense but like i just i just need a website or i just need a brochure i don't <laughs> yeah i don't know what, what, who? i don't know what you're <laughs> selling me but yeah please leave <laughs> darcy get this guy out of here <laughs> Um, so, so what are the, the major services that you guys offer? So, um, pretty similar to you guys, we were checking out your website. Um, our bread and butter would certainly be brand strategy. So foundational things like naming and positioning and brand identity, uh, print design is kind of in there as well. Uh, loads of work with package design, uh, interactive or web design, and then environmental design, which can be anything from, you know, kind of storefronts to way showing, uh, simple signage to built environments and all the way up to kind of like traditional museum exhibition design and planning stuff, like big, big uh, actual exhibitions, which we, wow, yeah, we seldomly do that just because they're kind of few and far between, but it's really fun work. That's cool. So, so what is, uh, what is this, the structure of your team? I assume if you're doing web design, you have a developer on staff. We actually outsource developer. Um, so I'll start with our team and then talk about uh, kind of partners we work with. So, we are fairly flat uh, only because we're five people it's not like any special reason uh, we don't really have any special titles we don't have creative directors or art directors though that may change as we continue to grow um, for now we're all just designers mm -hmm. um, we have three people including my business partner cody who work on branding and design and then everyone wears a million hats like you guys do as well I imagine but right. uh, we have one dedicated web designer or inter I don't even know, that's probably selling him short, but Mike, he single-handedly does the work of like 10-person agencies here in town. <laughs> and then uh, he's just uh, unreal. Um, and then I, I do a lot of stuff. I, I actually stepped away from design a couple years ago to focus on uh, business development primarily. So, you know, handling new inquiries, uh, vetting clients, getting through proposals, um, hopefully eventually onboarding them. And then when they're, when they're become clients, uh, dealing with project management, which is mostly like scheduling and billing and admin work. I don't, I try not to present the work and stuff like that because I didn't make the work generally. Things that I do work on, I guess though, would be brand strategy for clients. So I do a lot of that stuff as well, um, but I don't make anything. And then let's see here, I think I, uh, I guess the biggest reason, and, and the reason you kind of reached out originally was uh, kind of our marketing and Coda's marketing. So whether that's writing about new work that we've launched or coordinating photo shoots to promote the work or getting stuff on our website or blog or submitting it to design blogs. Um, and then kind of content marketing for other platforms and driving special projects. It's a lot of different hats there and a lot of different stuff, but that's kind of what I do as far as our team goes. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's cool. What, uh, what is your pricing like for, um, projects? So I Typical, it obviously depends on what we're tackling, but you know, a, a typical project for us is like the thirty to $50,000 range. Um, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get the occasional 75 or 100. I wish we had more of those, but it, we just generally don't, uh, we, we don't have the kind of scope that someone needs, uh, or they rather don't have that scope. So that's uh, probably due more to the type of client we attract than anything. So as far as like pricing itself, you know, we have sort of these flat pricing structures for different services, which is like, Kind of knowing just our, our cover ourselves fee, you know, like after doing this for about eight years, you as well probably know, like through tracking our time and everything, like we know about how much time it takes to, to deploy an identity or to make a, like a, a kind of typical website that we've done for breweries or something. But so we kind of have that. And then we look at, uh, we kind of combine that with like more of a, a value pricing approach. So we look at the project and offer a couple different packages that might help the client achieve what they want. 
so that gives them some wiggle room because we don't want to we don't want the answer just to be like a flat no like if the budget isn't there so that we found right. that to be a pretty good strategy for uh, landing more projects so do you kind of offer like like a couple different like package options is that what you're saying so when you send a proposal like you can do the more expensive or the least expensive package it really is different on every project, which we're, we're even just over the last six or seven months trying to implement this in a more formal way. Um, you know, I, I think like a, a good idea would be one of the ver, uh, one of the packages might have more of an emphasis on brand strategy or something as a takeaway, which we mm-hmm. feel is very important. But some clients don't want that. You know, some clients come to us and they kind of have drilled down what they want. Um, I think that we, we often we do a good job of kind of selling them into that higher package because they, we, they, we sell them on the value the brand strategy kind of brings to the table. So we're not so much order takers, but we're helping them shape, you know, more core messages and stuff like that. So I think it's good for them and it's certainly good for us as well. What are your, what are the sort of deliverables in, in sort of like a full branding package that you would deliver to the client? Yeah. So it begins by defining kind of core messages and values and brand essence and stuff like that. And then uh, that is en route to developing, you know, the identity and then stationary and stuff like that. Um, you're also going to get typically into packaging and websites and stuff. But then there's a document. We don't make a lot of fanfare or we don't surround it with fanfare. But there's um, there's a messaging document at the end, which is just an internal tool for them that kind of captures everything that we did so they can carry on with that messaging. So mm-hmm. it's not like a big binder or some overly produced thing. It's just it's something that's that kind of captures what we all framed through that process. Cool. Um, on your website, uh, you use the term hands-on branding. It looks like you trademarked it even. We did, um, yeah. <laughs> can you talk about what that process is or what that means? I can, yeah. Um, trademarked. So uh, hands-on branding started out as a name for a specific process itself. Um, I'll give you a little bit of propaganda. So a big misstep that Cody and I saw as young designers, one of the reasons that we wanted to start Codo back when we were in college was that... Um, when you make that leap from like conceptual or ideas into visuals, um, at least here in Indianapolis anyway, uh, there was at the time this philosophy of we the designers know more about your company than you do. It's like we're the arbiters of good taste and stuff like that. And so we would see these big Don Draper reveals with like kind of very little input from the client. And so what we wanted to do to get around this was as part of our brand strategy process, uh, we would use these large collages or mood boards to art direct what a brand experience could look or feel like. And the goal was essentially to prototype what that brand experience could could be before investing time and money going down potentially the wrong path. And so, uh, you know, we shouldn't bring preconceived notions to the table, but it's kind of impossible to do. It's something you always have to fight for. Like like right now, even we're Kodo's branding a charcuterie company. And, you know, like, oh, I know what a charcuterie company looks like. I love charcuterie. But um, what this allows you to do is get in front of the client and let them kind of build these boards. Well, I guess I should back up. The hands-on branding name, make sure you're sitting down for this. But uh, the the mood boards were built with removable tape. So our clients could literally get hands-on with the branding process. And so uh, while this is very powerful, the name is a little gimmicky. And so... Um, over the last, I mean, this this actually happened four or five or six years ago now. We've kind of backed that off to where it's more of just uh, more of a philosophical approach surrounding getting the client involved as much as we can throughout the process than it is, you know, here's our hands-on branding process and then here's our whatever lower process. So that's where it came from and it is trademarked. But, uh, but yeah, we kind of backed off 
like the, the direct uh, you know like implications of building mood boards and ripping them apart is a specific process. Interesting. So you don't you're not doing the hands on mood boards anymore. You know what we do, but it's not it's not so much called because originally it was our hands on branding process, and that would have been we don't use like silver, gold, platinum, or Cadillac or any terms like that. But that would have been like the biggest uh, kind of the, the largest scope that we offer, and it's great because depending on budget and timeline, and in particular, uh, this is kind of one of the things we got from design thinking um, from our background at school. When you have a large number of stakeholders, like if we're working with a nonprofit or a really large organization, and you know, is that number of people that need to get, give approval grow? It's it's a really nice tool to get people all around this, so that you're building rapport and understanding the entire time, and you're essentially you're you're kind of stair stepping your way through the process to where there aren't these there aren't these huge reveals. I mean, of course, you're going to be presenting branding and presenting website and stuff like that, but but there's a more linear approach to understanding how we got to where we are and what you're looking at, and so people have buy-in, and and the the mood boarding really does help with that. I'm just trying to imagine what your mood board looks like. Is it something up on the wall? Is it, um, are, are these like pictures from magazines that you're moving around and sticking places? Yeah. You know, there, I, I guess I kind of glossed over this before we get into that. We, uh, we have this kind of due diligence document, which is our, our kind of first big presentation where it's like, here's what we found. Here's what we're hearing. Here's messages to avoid. Here's your audience. Here's your competition. And here is like p- potential brand essences or big ideas, you know? From there, we art direct uh, and, and jump into the mood boarding. And that is really, it's just like a four by three foot piece of foam core with images that we gather uh, custom for every project uh, to art direct that idea. So you get those from like Pinterest or from design blogs or wherever, uh, basically for us to communicate through our filter what we think that looks like and then get it in front of them to make sure that's that's resonating with what they think it should look like as well. Okay, so you're not actually building the board with the client, you're sort of presenting it. We have done that before, but we find that it is better if we kind of do it, because you put good stuff in, you get good stuff out, um, is what we found. So it, it also, it kind of adds time, it gets messy when the clients are there building it as well. But we, we're always kind of trying to figure out how we can make that better and more inclusive, so that could happen. That's cool. So we're going to talk about your craft beer guide. That's actually how I found you guys. Um, are, are you guys sort of an exclusively, uh, a beer, um, agency, or is that just sort of a focus for you guys? It is definitely a focus, but we, um, while we love, love, love beer, obviously we, we do a lot of work in it. We prefer the, the range that food and beverage itself gives us. Um, we don't want to focus entirely on beer. I don't think we have a plan to do that ever. Gotcha. Gotcha. What was one shift or change you think that sort of brought your agency to the next level? Hmm. Well, uh, actually, I, I do know one jumps right to mind. About two or three years into our business, we were we kind of just by accident. I think that's how this happens with a lot of companies. We ended up working with a lot of food and beverage clients. Um, you know, you start working with the Indianapolis City Market, which is one of the the country's oldest actively open markets. And then so you do that, and then you work with three or four of their vendors. So a juice company, a crepe company. Then you brand a bar and then you, you that work for that bar gains the attention of a local restaurant group or something. So we were doing a lot of food and beverage work and just deciding to kind of focus on that positioning. So actively doing things, presenting our portfolio, trying to take on that work. Um, I think that's something that really helped us get to the next level uh, is like actively positioning our company. 
Yeah, we've sort of always fallen into the uh, the food and beverage as well, and even a little bit in agriculture. And yeah, I think a lot of that is is just sort of work building on top of other work. And Portland is a big food hub, so definitely is. And you you probably wouldn't believe this, but Indianapolis has over the last five or six years has kind of exploded uh, as well. Like you're seeing across the country, obviously, like food and beverage or like just great food happening, great craft beer happening. Uh, it's, it's really cool because we kind of, it grew up around us in our own market. We didn't have to travel too much to find that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and then uh, before we get into the the craft beer guide, um, what's one mistake that you've made while growing your agency? Just one? <laughs> <laughs> um, man, a lot, of, a lot of our early mistakes just came from being young and not knowing anything thing about like how to run a business or how to how to run a firm but uh i think maybe the biggest the biggest mistake we ever made was uh in early 2012 late 2011 sometime around there we had for what was it for us at the time a very large batch of work um and so we just completely focused on that and we didn't uh we weren't writing any blogs we weren't uh hitting the streets and and reaching out for portfolio reviews we weren't actively marketing or chasing new leads and uh when those projects dried up we ended up with a very very long dry spell and so now um you know i guess a, a mistake was not marketing but the lesson would be even if you're drowning and you feel like you can't even get the work that you have done like just always look for work and always continue to tell your story and reach out for for new stuff because uh yeah this this you need to keep doing that always yeah that's a very good lesson a good lesson for us too because we've done that before too we get so overwhelmed by all the work that we've landed that we forget that you gotta especially as projects get larger you gotta start working on the clients early you know you might not land something for six months or a year after you've um engaged the client which, yeah, and, and we found that, I mean, it's kind of nice, actually, you know, like having stuff that's like, oh, well, they want to work with us, but they're not going to get that budget for eight months or whatever. So it's kind of nice doing that. But yeah, just the, I never want to feel that way again. Uh, we can't actually, you know, the idea of having all your employees, uh, you can't just like stop paying them because you're not making yeah, payroll like it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, so, exactly. That's <laughs> you're just a complete dirt bag. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about that craft beer guide. How, how did that come about? Well, um, okay, so back in early 2014, we wanted to, uh, we consciously sat down and we wanted to start working for, with more craft beer work. We had done some beer work, but we, we loved it and we wanted to do more. So we, uh, we kind of had this idea in the back of our head forever, and it was just something that we never did. So we reached out to, uh, we found this fantastic kind of uh, beer industry blog. And at the time, it was kind of a dry, uh, kind of like drier content. So like you think about an industry specific thing. So like, uh, how does your brewery deal with wastewater? Uh, you know, like kind of articles like that. And it was craft brewing business. So we reached out to them and said, hey, um, we'd love to just kind of write about branding and design. Would you guys be open to that? And they're like, yeah, sure. Send us whatever you had. So we started writing these kind of 101, like really 101, like stuff that we like you'd look at and be like, well, they're just re- retreading brand gap or whatever. But, you know, we just write about what is branding and how does that apply to a brewery or what is positioning? We started writing for them, I think, uh, immediately just ended up with three or four. Like it, it was weird. We, we published these pieces. I think we had three or four blogs go live and then um, we just ended up with clients immediately, like three or four, just like that. Um, and, and if you know anything about the, the craft beer industry or the growth that we've experienced since uh, 
well, over the last seven or eight years, I suppose, kind of aligned with what Coto's grown. Uh, we're now at 5,200 breweries. There's, I think the number from the Brewers Association is 1.5 breweries open every day in the country. Like it's, it's an, it's an, incre- yeah. And it's not really slowing down yet. So yeah, so we, uh, this whole guide started by, uh, the last three years of writing. And I think I want to say late 2015, maybe in our year end wrap up, we said we should uh, we should put these together all, all the because we had all these posts. We were writing for a lot of different uh, craft beer outlets, so like Brewbound, uh, American Craft Beer, Craft Brewing Business, uh, very respected kind of just blogs essentially and magazines and stuff. Um, so we had all this great stuff, but it was just spread out everywhere. So we said, why don't we just kind of put this into like a it, at the time it was like more of a microsite, but let's create a guide like kind of a basically a book that's a website that people can go to and figure out how to brand their brewery. And so we did that and launched that in August 2016. So that's the craftbeerbrandingguide.com for anyone listening. Yeah, I thought that was so smart that you guys decided to put it on your own uh, on its own domain, you know. So it's it's not it's not so tightly associated with the agency that it feels like a sales pitch. It's really just free information. It's really designed well. Um, and it's a bunch of pages, right? Yeah, I I we re, we redid it uh, for a print version, but it, I think it's eighteen. Actually, let me just look here. I've got it right in front of me. I think we're at uh, yeah eighteen chapters. Uh, yeah. So when we initially did it, uh, you know, a problem we found w- when we went to like put it in more of a longer form, like for a book, was uh, they were just a lot of blog posts. And when you write blog posts, like a lot of them reference other blog posts, and you're kind of backlinking and stuff like that. So there's a lot of redundant stuff to, to clean out. But yeah, we're, we're at 18 very solid chapters now, I feel very solid. So um, the Beer Guide, the website launched August 16. We've just done an absurd amount of business from it. Uh, you, you Let me, before I even get to the print version, uh, you know, you talked about being on its own URL. We did that because we didn't want to make it like really overly salesy. Um, we actually had to kind of rein back a lot of that because my, my first instinct obviously is to, you know, like make everything to sell Kodo, but, but there's, we kind of lean more towards like real value and like, how can people see this and, you know, maybe actually like brand their brewery, uh, rather like, obviously we're giving it away and we're not going to get all that business, but we get a lot of business from it. So, uh, put it there. It's been wi- uh, really well received. And then at the end of 2016, it was our, uh, the last, well, I mean, it, it happened for a couple of weeks where we were kicking this all up, but, uh, Nina paper, Nina packaging reached out and they, they had saw, they had seen the, the online guide and they were, uh, releasing their new Bella craft beer label line. And so they wanted to partner with us to make a special print run. So on the last day of the year for us, 16, which was like right before Christmas, we were all out getting beer and lunch and everything kind of celebrating the year. And we got the, the call from them that we had the green light to start the project off. So um, spent Christmas break rewriting it. Uh, January was spent designing the book. February was spent on production coordination, and um, I'm holding it in my hand right now. It's really pretty, but yeah, that all uh, the whole campaign. It's going to be available through the website for free, um, thanks to Nina. They're actually giving the book away uh, through the Crapper Branding Guide site. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Um, so the. How much how much traffic do you get to the to the website or you know and and sort of I guess the follow up question is is how many leads? Yeah, well, so we we regularly field at least three or four inquiries a week. Uh, you know, of course, you're not going to get all those, but just out of the blue, well, out of the blue, they're from the beer guide. But 
as far as visits, you know, it ranges, it, it's, it holds steady about 140, 150 unique people a day on there, which maybe not be that, might not be that impressive, but you know, it, it's had as much as like 7,500 or 8,000. I think the number might've been per day. I think it was mentioned on brand new or something a while back. So obviously it depends uh, where it's being covered, but, uh, just a lot of people have seen it. Um, as far as SEO, I mean, like another reason, kind of an obvious reason of, of choosing that URL is when you search for craft beer branding, this this guide, as well as several other pieces that we've written, kind of rise to the top there. So, oh, that's fantastic. I feel like it's a, it's sort of a walking advertisement for other agencies to do this sort of thing. You know, I mean, it's a, it's there, obviously it's a lot of work, but like. I mean, three or four leads a, a week is nothing to shake a stick at. <laughs> yeah, it, it it really is incredible. Like it kind of, I, I mentioned earlier that we kind of thought about doing this forever. Like we just, we know, we knew that this sort of thing, we had no idea it worked this well, but we knew like we need to be writing in front of the, the our audience. Like it's more valuable to us to write, you know, or talk to like a potential brewery or a food group than it would be to talk to a room full of designers. So we always focus more on that stuff than we would like, writing about design itself but uh but yeah it's it, it has just been an, an incredible experience uh, and it's, it i feel in a lot of ways it hasn't even started yet because this over this next week is when this new campaign launches and people can actually get the print book that's so cool so um how how else will you be using the the print book um besides giving away on the website I have no idea. <laughs> I, uh, I can, I can show it to my parents. <laughs> no, uh, you know, I, I, I'm first of all, very proud of it. I, I, I was worried that it would be kind of like a token book. Like we, we buy design books and branding books and stuff all the time. I'm sure you do as well. And it's very rare that you read one that's like maybe says anything different or unique. Um, mm-hmm. and we were worried about that, but I, I, I know from talking to breweries around the, the world, even that have read this guide, that, that it is valuable. So I think that, I think that we could maybe build this into another version with more of a workbook or more, just more case studies, more content. I'm not sure, you know, uh, we, we've, uh, in all honesty, we've been so slammed with obviously work, but just like the last two or three months of, of getting this thing produced that we haven't had a chance to kind of poke our head up and, and breathe a little bit. So we're just trying to figure out what comes next, but that's cool. When I was on that brewery site and I can't even remember what site it was, I think I clicked on an ad. Do you advertise the, the craft brew guide? We do. And you know, that's something that after writing for two years, two and a half, two years about, uh, that's probably craft brewing business where you saw that I imagine. Um, we, we kind of slowed down because we didn't want to just write junky. Like I hate, there's nothing worse than just kind of like throwaway content. Uh, right. like I didn't want to do that. So I didn't want to just like, I would sit down and nothing would come to mind. Like I, I kind of talk about positioning another u- unique way. Well, I can't, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not as good a writer as I think I am or something. But so we just kind of slowed down in writing and it was interesting we saw, uh, this was before the beer guide was launched. We saw the amount of, uh, new business inquiries start to sink. So it's like, Oh shoot. Well, okay. We, we need to be in front of people regularly. So we started doing paid, uh, banner advertisements and I, you know, just really simple stuff. And that's actually been pretty helpful for us as well. It became more helpful when you had a place to link to like the beer guide versus just our website, because that's more of a tool for people to see and establish us as content experts. But, uh, yeah, we do, uh, you know, we've actually had pretty good luck with like Facebook ads as well. 
uh, paid banner ads. We're doing a webinar coming up here in a couple weeks that I need to really get started on writing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, we do a we do a good batch of uh, or good mix rather of different different marketing methods. And is that usually sort of is it usually around beer? For these, it is only because that we've got so much kind of expertise or I say clout maybe um, with my tongue firmly in my cheek there. We, we have a, we have a lot invested in that space, so it makes sense to kind of play that up. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, one of the I, I think the very first agency that I interviewed on this podcast is another um, agency in town. I think around a six person agency. They specialize in the coffee industry, cool. and one of the the sort of content marketing things that they did is they created a, a podcast just around coffee. And, um, I haven't talked to them since they started that podcast about how well it sort of, you know, brings in leads for them, but it's the sort of similar idea of like really diving into the industry that you want to work with and providing value. And then if people are interested, they know who to go to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in people that are in that lifestyle or like that specific niche can like find that and seek it out. Like I wanted to ask you how this is done for, for murmur, because I love, like i about halfway through last year, stopped listening to news, which I know isn't very healthy or, or citizenly, <laughs> but, but I just started listening to podcasts almost entirely. And, and I love it. I don't know that I want to have Kodo start one, but I was curious for your sake, like how has this helped murmur at all? Is it, uh, have, has it brought you any leads or anything? You know, it's interesting. I mean, I think that making, you know, making a choice like you guys did to sort of focus on an industry is probably going to be better at bringing in leads than, you know, starting the creative agency podcast, which the audience is really other agencies. But, but the main reason that I did it is because we don't have a lot of agency experience here at Murmur Creative. We all just sort of figuring it out as we go along. So one of the most valuable things is the educational component um, for ourselves. <laughs> but I think that one of the things that we have um, gotten more attention from is people in our community who are involved in agencies. Um, we've gotten a little better known amongst other agencies in our community. We've made connections with other agencies. So it's sort of like, um, well, we may not be making connections with potential clients. We are sort of embedding ourselves better in the sort of agency community, which does have its own benefits as sort of, you know, things like collaboration and potential hiring. You know, we get a lot of uh, people hitting us up wondering if we will hire them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. When it comes time to bring people on. You're kind of attracting the best of the best for sure. Yeah. Or at least people that like podcasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, who knows? I mean, maybe it, maybe it will eventually lead to some work, but yeah, I think that the, I think that if you do want to do a podcast for, you know, to bring in new work, probably the best way is, is kind of like, um, that agency I spoke about, um, need more does a coffee agency or like doing, you know, if you're interested in craft brew, do a craft brew, um, podcast, but, uh, but yeah. The, the creative agency podcast is just so fun for me because, you know, you can't pay for this sort of education. Like I get to interview agency owners from all over the world and they tell me all their secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's way better than books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any plans to create any other guides like the craft brew beer guide? I think, uh, so you kind of started hinting at it earlier. It, it, we have a very easy template, not not 
literally a template, but you know, like a way of if we want to focus more on restaurant groups and stuff. But I don't think we have any interest in doing that. We don't want to retread just entirely like the same exact way that we've done here. I think what we'd like to do more of, uh, this was maybe due more to the compressed time of like having to rewrite this over my break. And then January, the guys back at the office designing it. Uh, it, it, it ended up being about 112 pages, I think. And mm-hmm. I initially wanted it to be more around 200. And that's not that's not a vanity thing or for the sake of being more pages. I wanted more case studies. I wanted more um, more of a, a workbook component to it. Because I think about great branding books that I've read. They actually have um, like almost like a tear-out sheet or something like that that you can... Uh, well, not Terachi, but you know what I mean. Like, like it actually that kind of a template of how you can go about framing your 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 uh, core values and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. there's a lot more that I'd like to do. I think the way we frame this uh, is that it's mostly a primer. Like, it's just to get people that don't know at all anything about branding to understand kind of the core concepts surrounding it and what they need to do to make sure their brewery stands out amongst a million other breweries in their own town, let alone the country. So, cool. Um, do you think other agencies are sort of leaving, um, leaves on the table by not using content marketing? Yes. Uh, and I'll maybe, maybe reframe that. I think a lot of agencies are leaving stuff on the table by potentially not being positioned. Uh, I think that people fear that if they say they only do one thing that they'll miss out like this is what you read about positioning like if if i only say i do one thing like food and beverage like kodo or murmur kind of it sounds like you guys do you tend to focus on that or you do focus on food and beverage you know it it, we do other stuff too i mean it's we don't say we're a food and beverage or um um design agency but a lot of our work is that way and and that sort of reinforces the the work that we get um there's we've sort of discussed it before and we like doing other kinds of work so we don't want to necessarily pigeonhole ourselves because we like when someone comes to us and it's a kind of company we've never worked with before sure um but uh but yeah so that's that's kind of where we are well, we're kind of similar except that we we do try to own food and beverage but you know what we found a lot of people we've talked to other uh, kind of agency owners here in town. People are afraid that if if I say I only work in food and beverage, that if something cool comes around, like uh, uh, like a motorcycle, I don't know what's cool. Like a, a motorcycle company will say, like mm-hmm. uh, that that company will say, oh, they only work with food and beverage. They probably won't work with me, so I shouldn't reach out to them. And we've we've kind of seen the opposite. Um, you know. Now, the the cool thing about positioning is is when a cool restaurant or bar opens like here in town, we're definitely part of that conversation, or usually I should say. Or when a brewery opens nationally or even anywhere in the world, there is a likelihood that they're going to Google, you know, craft beer branding or packaging and they'll find us. Uh-huh. Um, so just by doing that, um, and I guess to answer the initial question, we have found that... Um, I think by not positioning, which a lot of like a lot of amazing agencies actually don't tend to be like concretely positioned. I think that that could lead, lead uh, leave leads on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, actually, I just did a um, just did a short presentation for um, this. Uh, um, what was it called? It's called the Digital Agency Summit about. Um, about sort of positioning and about specialization. And it is really interesting. I mean, uh, agencies are all along the spectrum. 
of specialization from agencies that are, you know, just generalists and they're doing fine. And then, you know, really specific like coffee or beer. And, um, and I've seen, you've definitely seen success in, and, um, in all sort of all of the above. So it, it's interesting. I think that you do have to position yourself no matter what, you know, so it's like, but you don't necessarily have to choose a client vertical to, you know, you don't have to be into, you know, we do, uh, you know, motorcycles or we do, um, coffee or whatever. There's, there's kind of other ways to position and specialize yourself. So, um, yeah, it's it's, it's very important, but it's also, I, I think that sometimes young agencies get a little too focused on specialization. I know that when, you know, when we started out, it was like, um, we were cheap and small. And that was our position. <laughs> so, and, and that's how you then grow and, and become, have the ability to eventually sort of, you know, fine tune your offerings and become the agency that, that, you know, you're destined to be or whatever. Yeah, it's all fantastic points. I mean, I, I listened to your podcast with, uh, was it Jeremy from Official Manufacturing Company? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's maybe the best example I can think of. Of I won't call them generalists, but, uh, yeah, like just kind of across the board, just amazing designers and, and, you know, like building brands for visionaries or whatever their tagline is. Like, yeah, that that is a great kind of counter to, to my, my positing that everyone should be positioned. But, yeah, it's I, I think that you do see people do it just to different. I think your, your term of a spectrum was a, a good one. Like, it's just however you can do it, people are doing it. Um, so I always ask my guests for three takeaways at the end of the show. Um, what would you, what would you suggest for, you know, an agency looking to use content to, to market their brand? I think the best thing to do, and this is something that I'm kind of guilty of not doing is, uh, you should be writing all the time, uh, just to exercise that muscle. So even if you never plan to publish anything like on a blog, uh, it'll make you a better communicator and a better thinker and a better designer. And when I think about the last eight years or coming up now in eight years of, of running Kodo, uh, writing has been one of the most important skills I've developed through the communication, everything. So um, it helps with better proposals, uh, better design work. And then definitely when you get into actually like writing about your projects or content marketing, um, I think it's very, very valuable. So kind of building on that, I'm not sure if this is another point or not, but write about things that interest you. And it really isn't hard to do. So for us, I mean, we wanted to do craft beer, but it wasn't hard to write about craft beer because we were already home brewers and we went to breweries all the time. We were friends with breweries. So it was something that was fun. And then it just kind of became this big monster of a thing. So uh, if you are interested in doing this sort of thing, uh, look, we mentioned you should reach out to blogs and publications where your potential customers are and try to write for them. Don't worry about getting paid. I Everyone should be paid for the value they bring to the table always, but you're doing this so that you can get more money from uh, people. So, uh, you know, just consider writing and reaching out to uh, the places where your customers go uh, and you can get your name in front of thousands of people. Um, And then I think I'm on, I think that was two. (laughs) We'll give you you one more. (laughs) Uh, You know, probably just kind of retread what I said a couple minutes ago. Through content marketing, uh, consider your positioning in a meaningful way. Uh, you know, I think that we, Kodo, especially up until like a couple years ago, and a lot of our friends and other agency owners here in town, 
uh, and probably around the world actually, we were guilty of not doing the things that we push our clients to do on a like everyday basis. So, you know, figure out your ideal customer, figure out how to tell your story in a compelling way. What role do you play in their life? Develop processes and processes and ways to prove how you're different from your competition and, and then work your ass off every day. Like do the things that you help your clients do. Like you should try to tell your own story and, and figure out your positioning in a great way. That's great. That's great advice. And it's making me feel guilty for not blogging more often. <laughs> I, I, I can say it, but I, I, uh, I haven't written in a while, so kind of, kind of, kind of got myself all tuckered out on writing after uh, the rewrite over my Christmas break. So, well, I, you know, you, I'm very impressed by you guys and that guide. I think that's just it's kind of just an out of the park success story for using content marketing um, and uh, and how you can as an agency really bring in leads that way. So that was, it was a great example, and it was also awesome talking to you. Um, it's always fun to talk to another similar agency, even if we are, uh, you know, different cities. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for having me on. I will, uh, I will send you a copy of this, uh, next week when they're live and available. Awesome. Awesome. I can't wait to see it. And, uh, yeah, I encourage everyone to go online. Uh, can you say the URL? Yes, sir. It is craftbeerbrandingguide.com. Excellent. You should definitely check it out. It's a great example of what you should all be doing out there. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Isaac. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton, who when he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the Digital Strategy Director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.